We're continuing again looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, one of the many books we have in the New Testament that were written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians, and this one is to the Christians in the city of Ephesus. And so as Sarah was talking with the children this morning, I'll ask you some similar questions that she asked them. And please keep your eyes open. You're allowed to keep your eyes open during the sermon as well. And so what do we pray for when we pray? When we ask for things in prayer, we typically ask for things that we need. And during our prayer time here at the church, we usually spend a lot of our time praying for things that we need, concerns in the church, physical needs or other kinds of needs that we have. And that's great. That's very important to do because we are commanded to do so. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Jesus tells us to ask our Father for what we need, and he will answer us and give to us that which we need. But do we only ever pray for our needs, or do we pray other things as well? See, a lot of the prayers in Scripture deal with things that are not what we would call needs, They deal with all sorts of other things. In Paul's prayer, in this part of Ephesians, he prays for things that might not be things we'd raise our hands or ask someone to pray for, and yet he is praying them. And so perhaps we need to have our prayer life shaped in some way by the prayers of Scripture, the prayers of the Apostle Paul and others when they write down their prayers in Scripture. I do not mean to replace our other ways of praying, but to supplement, to add to the ways in which we pray. So if you would, you can open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 15 today. You can find it on page 1,159 of the Pew Bible. So here we find Paul praying for the people that he is writing to, Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. If you're curious, yes, verses 15 through 21 are all one sentence in here. So if I start losing my air, that's, that's why. But verses 15 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen.
Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we give thanks for your word. We thank you that we have it and that we don't gather together with an empty book or just imaginings or things we think might be true, but that you have spoken to us, that you have revealed yourself through your word and that you have faithfully preserved it for us and that your word is life and it brings life. It is a powerful word. And so we pray, O oh God, that your word would go forth today in the power of the Holy Spirit and work in us with the power that you have towards us. Use me as simply a mouthpiece in spite of my sins and my own brokenness and fallenness to proclaim your truth and that we would hear it as your truth. For you, O oh God, speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The big idea I want us to hear in our passage today Thinking of all of the blessings we heard of the past two weeks, knowing how blessed we are in Christ, we should prayerfully seek to know God more and to receive what he has promised us. So today, what we see Paul doing here is he is acknowledging that he knows the people he's writing to are saved. And so he's responding to the fact that he's heard of their salvation but then he goes on to pray for them, praying that they would know God more in three specific ways, three requests in his prayer. So we see in verse 15, he's making connections, that any passage that starts with, for this reason, probably has something to do with what we just talked about. And so Paul is making a connection between verses 3 through 14 in these verses that he had just talked about all of these blessings we have in Christ, that we are adopted by the Father, redeemed in Jesus Christ, and all of that is guaranteed with the Spirit. And so these connect because Paul is saying, I know that you, Ephesian Christians, are blessed like I have been blessed. He knows this. Here's what he says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Paul is essentially saying, I have two pieces of evidence that tell me that you are like me and blessed in Christ. Exhibit A is that you have faith in the Lord Jesus, that these Christians trust in Jesus as the one who saves them from their sins and reconciles them to God. They believe the good news of Jesus, which seems like a foundational test for anybody who claims to be a Christian. Well, do you believe the good news of Jesus? Yes, they do. And he shows us exhibit B then. So exhibit A, they have faith in Jesus. Exhibit B is their love toward all the saints. The saints, as we have said a few times, are not a special class of super Christians. Rather, they are all Christians. That the Ephesians do not simply believe, but their belief overflows into practice by which they love their fellow Christians. And so because he has these two pieces of evidence, Paul is confident that the Ephesians have been blessed by God with the same spiritual blessings that he has. They have been chosen by God, they have been adopted as his children, redeemed in the blood of Jesus, given the Holy Spirit, and have the promise of eternal life with God. They are recipients of these blessings because they have responded in faith. So how does Paul respond to the fact that they are believers? He says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
Note what Paul does not say. Paul does not say, congratulations, you did it. You're a Christian. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, it's about time. Now try not to mess it up, okay? He doesn't say that either. Paul thanks God for them because God is the one who saved them. If they trust in Jesus, then God has blessed them with salvation in the same way that Paul has been blessed. And if they love, the, if they love their fellow Christians, then the Holy Spirit is working in them to change their hearts. And so Paul immediately thanks the God who has done this in them and for them. But Paul doesn't stop there. He prays for more. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, the New Testament talks about unceasing prayer on a few occasions. And sometimes when we hear unceasing prayer, we, we sound a little bit like what Sarah was talking about, where we pray all the day, which is part of what unceasing prayer is. But we can kind of get a wrong idea as far as that goes, kind of like someone who's unwilling to say amen. Like, you just keep going. You just, no, I'm not going to say amen, because it says unceasing. And so I better just keep on going. Unceasing prayer does not simply mean praying all the day long. Rather, Paul says, I'm not going to stop praying for you. Even though I feel confident that you are saved by God through Jesus Christ, it is still my duty to pray for you. I was not just looking to get you on the guest list of heaven. I have more that I want you to know, more that I want to pray for you. And so he does not stop praying for them once they have been saved. And so I think that's here what he's talking about with unceasing prayer, not the fact that we are to pray all the day long, but that he doesn't want to stop praying just because he got them in heaven's door. And so what does he pray? Paul wants the believers to know God more and to more fully appreciate the promises and the power of God. That if you wanted to sum up this prayer, here's, here's what he is praying, the content, that you would know God more. I liked how Sarah was talking about how we get to know people and have relationships with people, uh, because that's how you have to do it. You have to spend time. You have to talk to each other. And as someone who talks to a lot of people uh, for my job, sometimes it can feel a little awkward talking to people. Like, oh, I got to get to know this person. Okay, well, hi, what's your name? How are you? You know, so have you ever had that experience where you need to talk to somebody? Like, what am I? Okay, well, we covered the basics. Now what? Like, tell me your life story. What, what's, what am I going to do now? Like, sometimes it's hard to get to know people. Maybe you're talking to them at a dinner party. Maybe you're riding with them in a car. Whatever it may be, you're in class with them at church. You have to get to know somebody. You're rooming with them on the women's retreat. Whatever it may be, you got to get to know this person. And for some of us, it can be like, how do I? How do I get to know this person who I'm supposed to know? God helps us. And Paul prays for God to help us. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That he gives us the spirit that we would know him more. 
Now, depending on your English translation, spirit may or may not be capitalized, but even if we're given a lowercase spirit, it has to be from the capitalized Holy Spirit because the Spirit is the one who helps us to know God more. He opens our hearts to understand these things because the Spirit gives us wisdom through the revelation of God. The Spirit always works through God's word. And so when we think of revelation, we are not to think about the Spirit somehow telling us individually distributed information about God. No, the Spirit works through the word. He works through what is revealed in Scripture. God doesn't use hidden knowledge telling Eric some things and Joe some things and Tom some things. He reveals it to us through Scripture. And the Spirit helps us to hear God's voice in the same way the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And when that happens, it says the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, that we start to see and desire things in the right way. Now, when I hear that phrase, the eyes of our hearts, it makes me think of that song we sing every Sunday, right before we read the scriptures. And we do that for at least two reasons. And one is to get y'all to sit down and stop talking so we can continue with the service. But more importantly, we sing that song asking God to prepare us to hear his word. Open our eyes that we would see Jesus in the word. Open our ears that we would hear your voice today, O God. Our hearts need to be opened to understand the things of God. And Paul says, I want the Spirit to do that for you. And I have three things that I want you to know. Paul's a good preacher. Three points. Three things for you to know. The first thing he prays for them to know, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now that may seem like a very silly thing to write to a bunch of Christians. Uh, Paul, these, these, these folks know the hope. They believe in Jesus. They know this eternal life thing. They know the hope is that we're reconciled to God, all, all of this. Don't they know that hope? Well, yes, of course they do. And if you were to ask them directly, hello, Ephesian Christians, do you have hope in Jesus? Yes, I do. But sometimes we can forget things that we know when we're distracted by whatever is urgent. If someone were to ask you, do you love your spouse or your child or your parents, of course you would answer yes. But in the hustle and bustle of the daily grind and frustrations of life, we may not treat our loved ones like loved ones. We may not show them the love that we claim to have for them. Similarly, we may know the hope that we have of eternal life, and yet we may forget it in the chaotic urgency of our lives. And so Paul wants the Christians to know and remember and not lose sight of this great hope, that he has called us not just to follow him in this life, but to a great hope that awaits us. If we lived each day certain of that hope, how would that change us? If when we were worried or suffering or even if things were great, how would it change us to know and remember the hope that we have? 
So Paul prays that we would know the hope to which God has called us. That's the first thing. The second thing Paul prays for us to know is to know this, to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, I will admit, I I am a pastor, but even reading through this, the first couple times, I missed what Paul was saying here. I didn't get it. Because we just came from verses 11 through 14, where Paul was telling us about the great inheritance that we have of eternal life with God. And I was like, oh, well, that's what he's talking about. But looking at the passage, he says the riches of his glorious inheritance. Not your glorious inheritance, not our glorious inheritance. His, God's inheritance. You may have thought, like I thought, well, isn't God the Lord of everything? How can he inherit anything? All of it's his already. But Paul wants us to know that God also has an inheritance, a glorious inheritance that he views as riches. And we are that inheritance. The people whom God has adopted and saved who believe in Jesus Christ, we are the saints. Paul wants us to know this because we can easily forget who we are in God's sight. We sin, we struggle. And that's just in the last hour. We can feel unworthy. We can feel unimportant. And God sees us differently because he sees us in Christ. And in Christ, we are his holy and beloved adopted children, his inheritance, the riches that he looks forward to gathering someday to spend eternity with him. Professor D.A. Carson writes this, that we need to know who we are as God sees us. Paul wants us to appreciate the value that God places on us, not because we are intrinsically worthy, but because we have been identified with Christ. If we know how God sees us and we let that knowledge shape us, that will help us live in line with our high calling. And so Paul prays that we would know that we, the saints, are the riches of God's glorious inheritance. That's the second thing. The third thing Paul prays is that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul gets a little swept away here in the third petition. He kind of goes on and on and on and on, but that's okay. He seems to understand that the readers probably have some kind of disconnect between the first two prayer requests that he has mentioned. That he has told us about the great hope that we have of glory and eternity with God. And then he tells us that we are God's rich inheritance. And we're thinking, man, we we don't feel that great. Like, yeah, we can go there, but he doesn't think that we're that great, are we? I hope God isn't disappointed with his inheritance and he finds not the riches of his glorious inheritance, but the poverty of his inheritance. That's our fear. And so Paul wraps up his prayer by praying that we would know the power of God because it is that power of God that works in us to make us that worthy inheritance. 
He describes God's power in a few ways. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus, how God raised him from the dead. That's the power that God works in us. He gives us another example of Christ's ascension into heaven, that Jesus, who had a resurrected body, went up into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. And in there, Jesus is given power over everything, authority over everything. Jesus has power over every parent, every boss, every teacher, every principal, every police officer, every magistrate, every governor, every school board, every congresswoman, every world leader, every Supreme Court justice, every president, every dictator, every angel, every demon. Jesus has power over them all. All of that is under the feet of Jesus. God has given him all the power in the universe. And not just for this age, but the age to come. Jesus has no term limit. Jesus has no expiration date. Listen to why he has done this. Paul writes, God gave him as head over all things to the church. God has given Jesus the ultimate ruler of heaven and earth to the church. One of the things we're going to realize as we go through Ephesians is Paul seems to be talking about a very different church than we're probably familiar with. His view of the church is like way up there. And how awesome and amazing and God is choosing to work through the church. And sometimes we're like, man, we are, are that us, the church? You're giving all this power, this Jesus, to the, to the church? And yet he does. Because as Christians, we are going to face great difficulties and trials. The world may hate us. Governments, as many do around the world, may outlaw our religion. We may be thrown in prison as Paul was and as our brother Andrew Brunson, the pastor in Turkey, is currently serving in prison. We may be mocked and marginalized, but Jesus reigns over all. We may suffer from within the church too, from false teachers leading us astray, from the moral failures of pastors and church leaders. We may suffer from infighting and bickering and divisions. We may struggle with church finances or getting enough volunteers or how do we reach out to the community. But Jesus reigns over all of it. Everything is under his control. His power is immeasurable toward us who believe. The church. Jesus' kingly reign is a gift and an encouragement to the church. He wants Christians to know this because we can feel powerless. That the church is not living up to what we're supposed to be in Scripture. We can feel like we're fighting a losing battle against a world that grows increasingly hostile towards Jesus. But Christians, God's great power is for us. And the fullness of this power does not need to be spread out with each of us receiving only a little dose of that power. Jesus is never spread thin. He is never juggling his power. 
Rather, the church is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of God's immeasurable power works in all of his people. Do you have a sense of that power? And do you know that that power is for us, for the church? Not to wield it as we would wield it, but to let the power work in and through us. Paul prays that we would know this immeasurable power, this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So Paul prays these three things. He wants us to know our great hope, to know how God sees us in Christ, and to know his power towards us. All believers have some knowledge of these things. And yet Paul prays that we would know them more. And who can blame him? For if these things are true, wouldn't we want to know this God more? It reminds me of our Old Testament reading from Psalm 8 where David looks up at the night sky and he just can't believe it. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? When you consider all that God has done, all the examples of his power throughout history, what is he doing using that power for us? Are we really all that special? Yes. Yes, in God's eyes, we are special, not because of ourselves, but because we are in Christ. And in Christ, we are his glorious inheritance chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, adopted in Christ, redeemed in the blood of Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and guaranteed to spend eternity with God. And if that's true, don't you want to know that, God, more? Doesn't it make you want to take a break from the pressing matters of everyday life and just stop and say, God, I want to know you more? If it makes you feel that way, then pray like Paul prays. Give thanks to the God who has opened your heart to trust in Jesus and who is changing your heart to love others. And pray that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit to open your mind and your heart to the wisdom of what God has revealed in his word. Pray earnestly to know God more and pray the same for your fellow believers so that we can gather together as the church and rejoice as those who know God and who are known by him, the sheep of his pasture, trusting the good shepherd. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we want to know you more. And yet so much of what we do in our lives makes it seem like we got other stuff going on. And we do but help us to make knowing you a priority. To pray not just for what you can give us, but to pray for you and who you are and that we would know you. Lord, there's so much more to know. We find it in your scriptures and we pray that you would help us to trust your scriptures and what they reveal, to believe your promises and to trust your word completely and to know it. For in your word, we know you. Lord, bless us and may your power work 
through your church in spite of our sins and weaknesses that we would bring glory to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.